This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. It's on pages 595 and 596 in your pew Bibles. Please turn there with me and listen as I read. These are the words of the Lord through Isaiah the prophet. In the, king, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go. Say to this people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not comprehend. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so they may look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, the land is utterly desolate. Until the Lord sends Everyone far away and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land, even burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let us pray. Almighty God who appeared to Isaiah, would you open our eyes today to see what you are saying in your word, to believe it, And to say, here am I, send me in response. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. I'll never forget the first time I saw real mountains. I grew up in upstate New York, where there are beautiful hills and deep gorges and amazing waterfalls. We're only three hours from the Adirondack Mountains, which are nothing to sniff at. But the first time I saw the rocky mountains, I was overwhelmed. I was about 12 years old. I was overwhelmed. I was about 12 years old, and I I could not take my eyes off of them. They were so majestic, so enormous, and so beautiful. Have you ever seen something 
that you know you'll never be able to forget. I know I'm never going to forget the look on Charles' face when I came down the aisle on our wedding day. I'm never going to forget the look of my son's faces, Wally's face when he was born, and Leo's face when he was born. Perhaps you feel the same about something you have seen or something you've heard. You'll never forget the sound of your mother singing or something you've tasted or something you've touched. These lasting, powerful memories can fuel our love for people and fuel our love for places. And sometimes we need those beautiful memories. After Isaiah experienced the powerful vision of the Lord, we read in Isaiah chapter 6 just now, God gave him an impossible task. Be a spokesperson for God to a people who are not going to listen. If God is really so powerful as it seems to be in the vision that Isaiah saw, why does he ask Isaiah to do what seems impossible? Isaiah can't change the hearts of the people. Only God can do that. Have you ever felt like God was giving you an impossible task? Maybe to remain hopeful in the midst of despair? To love someone who is unlovely? To share your faith in a culture that could really care less? This morning, we're going to look at how Isaiah's vision of the Lord fueled his faithful obedience through what felt task. Because Isaiah had seen the Lord, he could faithfully testify to who God is and what God has done. Now that sentence I just said, we're going to put a pin in it right here. Isaiah could faithfully testify. We're going to hold on to that thought. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to explain what I mean by testify. When I use the word testify, and I'm going to use it a lot in this sermon. I hope you don't get bored. When I use the word testify... I want you to picture a courtroom where the witness on the stand shares their testimony. They testify about what they have seen or heard. That testimony can either win or lose the case. And that's what Isaiah is doing throughout the whole book that bears his name. He is sharing his testimony. He's testifying about who God is and what God has done. So that's what I want you to think of when I say testify. All right, we'll unpin this thought back here and say it again. Because Isaiah had seen the Lord... He could testify about who God is and what God had done. The Lord, he could testify about who God is and what God had done. Isaiah's story takes place at a time in Israel's history long after the glorious reigns of David and Solomon. The nation had experienced many, many kings and much turmoil. And it seemed as though things were only getting worse. They simply continued down this well-worn path of idolatry toward destruction. God predicted would happen when he gave them the law back on Mount Sinai. Ignoring God's message always leads to spiritual death. But because Isaiah had seen the Lord, he could faithfully testify about who God is and what God had done. There was something about Isaiah's experience of God that fueled his faithful obedience. You see, Isaiah saw something, I'm sure, he never forgot. Isaiah saw something that no one else had ever seen. Isaiah saw the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord. 
And this was remarkable because God had declared that no one could see him and live. And Isaiah was still alive. Even Moses had asked in Exodus chapter 33, I want to see you. And God said, all right, but I'm going to hide you in this rock so you don't die. Throughout the Old Testament, God revealed himself but always in ways that were indirect. He was a still, small voice to Elijah. He was three strangers to Abraham. He appeared as a cloud in the wilderness leading the Israelites. But God never revealed his... I think God knew. Isaiah needed something to go back on, something to remind him throughout his life as a prophet that it was worth it. All the work of declaring God's word to a people who were determined to ignore it it was going to be worth it because Isaiah had seen the Lord. What do you do when the task ahead of you seems impossible? How do you remember what's important when all you can see is the Rocky Mountain size of unfolded laundry waiting to be folded? How do you hold on to peace or hope when you know you have to have that really difficult conversation with your spouse or with your friend? with your coworker, or with your child, and you know they don't want to listen. Isaiah's description of the vision begins with the Lord high and lofty seated on a throne. The vision begins with the Lord high and lofty seated on a throne. This would immediately have given Isaiah the sense that the Lord is sovereign. He is ruling over all things, and he has authority and power to do anything. The Lord was surrounded by creatures that seemed strange to us, seraphs. But their only job was to praise God day and night. This is a God who could move heaven and earth to accomplish his divine will. But instead, he just reveals his glory to a mere human Isaiah. And he asks Isaiah to be his spokesperson. Because Isaiah had seen the Lord, he could faithfully testify about who God is. God is sovereign. Not only was the Lord sovereign, but filled the temple. We learned a couple weeks ago when Pastor Sarah preached about Joseph's coat of many colors, that the long hem signified wealth and resources. Those were deep pockets. Isaiah saw that God did not just have a long hem on his robe. His robe, hem, filled the temple. This is an overwhelming image of power and provision. Do any of you remember Scrooge McDuck? He was the wealthy uncle of Donald Duck in Disney comics and cartoons. Uncle Scrooge, as Donald called him, had all of his wealth in the form of coins and an enormous vault attached to his home. And he loved money so much he would just go swimming in it from time to time. But he didn't want to share it. Or anytime anyone suggested, he actually used his money. He lived up to his name. He really was Uncle Scrooge. The Lord's hem, so expansive that it filled the temple, makes Uncle Scrooge's hoard of cash seemed like a handful of pennies. 
What could Isaiah need that God could not provide? The task before him to speak God's words to a people who did not want to listen may have seemed impossible. But because Isaiah had seen the Lord, he could faithfully testify about who God is and what God had done. Isaiah saw that the Lord was sovereign over all the earth. Isaiah saw the Lord was sufficient for his needs. And finally, Isaiah saw and heard the heavenly seraphs cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All the earth is full of his glory. What does it mean to be holy? When you were growing up, was there anything in your house that was set apart to only be used for special occasions? Maybe the plates and dishes in the china cabinet that only came out on Easter or Christmas or Thanksgiving? There might have been a special cake plate only used for birthdays? Or that teacup that only Grandmama used? These things were set apart. They were different. They were special and they were respected by everyone in the family. The repetition of holy in the Hebrew language indicates that God is the absolute most holy being, and nothing and no one is more holy than the Lord God. In fact, in Hebrew, the language uses, language uses repeating a word to signify purity. For example, pure gold is gold gold. And that's sufficient. That's enough to say this is the best. So holy, holy would have been enough. But the seraphim, the seraphs cry out, holy, holy, holy. This is an overwhelming sense. It's the same overwhelming sense of God being high and lifted up and his robe filling the temple. He is holy, holy, holy. The theologian Gary Smith explains it this way. God's absolute holiness reveals how separate, different, and totally other he is in comparison to all other aspects of the created world. He is separate, different, totally other. We've been discovering together themes from Krish Kandai's book about how God is stranger, how he shows up in unexpected ways. The strange holiness of God is so far beyond our comprehension, so completely separate and different from what our finite minds can understand. But here we see that the Lord God revealed a tiny percentage of his glory, authority, power, and holiness to Isaiah. Throughout the rest of Isaiah's life, God continued to reveal himself through Isaiah to the people of Israel. Some of the message that God shared through Isaiah were bad news. Israel will be destroyed because of their stiff-necked refusal to acknowledge the Lord as their God. Some of the messages were really good news, that hope remains. You can be forgiven. The Messiah is coming. Because Isaiah had seen the Lord, he could, he could faithfully testify about who God is and what God had done. What about you? What's the impossible task before you? Perhaps the impossible task is choosing to believe for the very first time in your life that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. 
to pay for my sins. Perhaps it's choosing to believe for the very first time that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose on the third day, showing that he has authority over all sin and death. Perhaps the impossible task before you is to respond to God's invitation to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to actually follow him every day. For some of us, the impossible task might be saying no to something you actually really love so that you could have more time, so that you could have more time with your family. Maybe the impossible task is sitting down and having that really hard conversation with your coworker or your spouse or your friend or your child. Maybe the impossible task before you is to love the unlovely, to be kind instead of angry, or to speak up instead of be silent. You and I may not have a task like Isaiah's to be God's spokesperson to a people who are never going to listen, but our task might be to share our testimony with our neighbor or our coworker or our family. And our testimony is simply like Isaiah's, to share our story of how we met Jesus and how our life was transformed by God's grace. You of where you have seen the Lord. I think many of us would like to have an enormous vision like Isaiah did, to see the Lord in a way that we will never forget. But that's probably not going to be the case for us. Thankfully, Jesus offers us a gracious gift in his words to Thomas in the Gospel of John. The passage, the first reading for this morning from John 20, verses 24 to 31, which is on page 101 in the New Testament of your Bibles. That is the first reading this morning. It occurs after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. All the disciples saw the Lord except for Thomas. And Thomas swore he would not, he could not believe that Jesus was alive until he put his fingers in the holes of his hands and put his hand in Jesus' side. Well, the next time Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas was there. And Jesus specifically invited Thomas to do exactly what he asked. Put your fingers in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas said, I believe. Jesus then gives us today a beautiful promise through his words to Thomas. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Beloved church, you and I have not seen Jesus like Thomas did. We haven't walked the dusty streets of Israel with him. We have not touched the sick and dying like Jesus did. We have not seen him like Isaiah did, on a high and lofty throne surrounded by seraphim. But Jesus still calls us blessed. Blessed by God to faithfully testify to who God is to who God is and what God has done. Beloved church, I invite you to pay attention this week. Notice, where is God at work in your life? Notice the still, small voice, the nudges to pray, the conviction of sin, 
notice where is God showing himself to you. The great theologian Walter Brueggemann says this about the people of Israel, and I think it applies to us today too. Not noticing, it may not evoke a supernatural swoop of nullification directly from heaven. It may come like a thief in the night, too quiet to be noticed until it's too late. Beloved, it is not too late right now. Notice, where have you seen the Lord? Isaiah, you too can faithfully testify to who God is and what God has done. Remember how you've seen God at work in your own life and share that testimony of how you are different now than you were before. Remember how you've seen the Lord and talk about why do you have a sense of hope? Why do you have a sense of peace? Why can you be so generous with your time and with your money? Remember the joy of your salvation and talk about it with your friends and your family. Because we have seen the Lord, we can faithfully testify about who God is and what God has done. Would you pray with me? Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for opening our eyes. Help us, help us to keep noticing what you are doing in the world around us and what you're doing in our own lives so that we can be faithful witnesses to what we have seen. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.